Hello everybody and welcome to episode 81 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, an anemic news lineup in September means that Mark catches a nap while sports games come to the fore, Warner Brothers in even more hot water over Shadow of War, Street Fighter 2 getting a SNES cartridge re-release, and our book club this week discusses one of the quintessential retro renaissance games, Shovel Knight. Let's start the show. Episode 81 of Link to the Cast from your friends here at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, be it Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, as always, joined on the couch beside me by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you for the first time that I've definitely asked that this evening? <laughs> this is definitely not the second time we've done this. I have no idea what you're about. <laughs> Look, you should be fucking grateful every time you get to say Two take Ryan, me. that's what old Jack Two Warner used to call yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were called Trent to Vinyl, my friend. This is, I think this is the, fir- that's the, f- that's the first such production error. There are two things well, that I- last week's was pretty fucking spectacular. Well, there are two things that, what we, like, my mouth falling off my head yeah, in the middle much. of saying the game last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, there's that. But uh, there are two, I think, common tropes of the, the the average podcast uh pretty much every podcast i've listened to goes through these two things and it's uh one there's an episode where they have to completely redo the start because they forgot to record yep and then the other one is a famous lost episode uh-huh. because every, it wasn't until after the episode was recorded that you realize the whole thing was in the bin and then you just don't do it again yeah so i i had a wonderful uh moment on... and, the, and the last episode is usually the, the hosts of that show then tell you afterwards that the content of that yeah. was oh, yeah. too funny. You know I'm what? thinking Orlando Jordan's Time Machine yeah, for an incredibly niche reference. We should probably just fucking do our own one at some point, not even record it and just say we have just a great say, We had a great conversation. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we really didn't. Um, but I, I had a fucking perfect example of this, not in terms of like a podcast, but I was doing uh, an interview with a developer uh, last Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And so, a really, really enjoyable interview. Um, I don't know if I could talk about the game yet, but it's, like, it's a football management game. And the guy who made it... It was, you have the scoop on Minecraft too, right? That's, I do, it yes. It was me and Notch, yeah. just chatting away. Pals, Not, best of pals. Uh-huh. Talking about fedoras the whole time. Uh, but this guy, he, he used to make games, like, years and years ago, football management games. Um, and he's also a, um, a non-football league manager. And uh, he really, really nice guy. We had a really good chat for about 40 minutes. Me, him, and the, the PR guy. And what I didn't realise until afterwards, and this is partially my fault, but also partially the blame I'm going to put on Skype, is that and I've never As had... As we so often do in yeah, this. Know, right. But I've never had this happen before, because usually when we start a Skype call with, say, if Barry and Jack with us, we're all in the call at the same time before I hit record. Yeah. This time... Yeah, we get on, we patter for about 20 minutes, yeah. and then we record. Well, this time, there was me and the PR guy. We was having a little chit-chat beforehand. Uh, his name was Theo. Again, very, very nice guy. Um, and we were chatting for about five minutes. I'd hit record. He then brought um, the developer into the conversation, at which that point, 
the call recording device that I used decided to cut the call off. So I had about no, so I had a minute's worth of chatter with uh, with the PR guy, and then I had forty five minutes of just well, there was nothing there because the call the recording had stopped, and it was only after. <clears throat> We'd stopped our chat, I'd ended the call, and I went to look at the MP3 or the WAV file, and I was like, hmm, mm, this is 59 seconds long. Hmm, it's about 59 seconds into that call when I hit record to bring in the developer into the, to the phone call. Hmm, yep, I can see exactly where it cut off, because it's like, cool, I'm just going to bring... Gone, dead. Ah. And so, thankfully, hopefully, uh, that, that was rectified, because we didn't do the call again afterwards. Um, but yeah, that was just... That's the first time that's happened with me with like a, a call for the purpose of being transcribed. Uh, and I was just fucking... And this was 11 o'clock in the morning as well. And yeah, that was that was not a good, good day. Rest assured, gentle listeners, you did not miss any solid gold content. What did we even get up to? What were you doing this week that we talked about? Nothing. I know we got on to talking about the ability of us to retain lyrics from songs yeah but about that for a couple of minutes well, i can retain lyrics very well mark can't no, even the songs he wrote performed or love well i look here's the thing here's the thing songs that i wrote like lyrically it's kind of in air quotes it's yeah. kind of songs i sort of uh improvised multiple times yeah. until i'd done so many improvisations of it that i'd memorized what i'd improvised which in fairness is it's a it's a talent in itself, I guess. Just ad-libbing music. Absolutely. It's, we were lost to the, the genre of jazz. No. <laughs> Just But uh, get up to much this week anyway? No, nothing, nothing. Okay. I watched Kubo and the Two Strings, actually, which was... Yeah, it was a pretty that's decent on my, film. That's on my my small stack of Blu-rays that I have bought and yet to yeah, watch. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, like, I've got a few in there, like Captain Fantastic and... Uh, everybody wants some and a couple of others that like thoroughly recommended to me were relatively cheap to pick up as blu-rays and you have you have two copies of uh, secret life of pets in there for some reason uh i bought one and one was bought for me that'll be it and to be fair if you're gonna have a film on twice yeah and, and i'm that person who's like if i get a gift of something that i already own that i've long since thrown out the receipt for myself i'm too uncomfortable to <laughs> <laughs> like make it real awkward and go sorry already have this like i appreciate the gratitude i'm more of a re-gifter than yep. a than a kind of uh, that's that's a very noble of you indeed yeah indeed why make someone feel bad that's you know? fair i am because they obviously clearly correctly identified that this was a thing i'd want so fair play yeah exactly I, i'm not gonna argue with that but yeah. yeah no kubo uh pretty good uh charlie's run was uh very good in her role uh, I spent about 20 minutes going, who the fuck is that voice, to realise it was Matthew Mahonachy, whose last name I can never pronounce correctly. <laughs> Matthew Mahogany. Just Ma- Matthew Mahogany, Mahogany. that's it. Um, and I didn't. I realised I didn't recognise his voice straight away because he wasn't doing a southern redneck drawl. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, like, the, the actual kind of visual style of it, like, it's a... You do struggle at points to see kind of like where the stop motion and the CGI kind of like really like points uh-huh. you have to kind of take your eyes away from the screen and look back to see kind of what's going on. Uh, a bit whimsical towards the end, but overall, like it's a, it's a serviceable film. For a man who loves Ghibli so much, you're very wary of whimsy. Ah, no, Ghibli isn't whimsy. It, it definitely, it, <sighs> visual whimsy abounds in those. That is for not, sure. Not having any of that. <laughs> not having any of that. It's spiritual and deep and meaningful. Oh, that's that too. But there is definitely whimsy going on there. That you is, haven't watched is, enough Ghibli. That that's is, what I'm that, getting out. That of this. is for damn sure. 
I'm gonna fucking sit you down and make you um, watch Grace, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. I Get you some had... fucking whimsy then. <laughs> I had a pretty decent week. I went up to to the Big Smoke, Dublin, to uh, watch some of the the grapples, um, which was good. But it was it was kind of there was it was marred by two things that that happened in the show, and I'm not going to get into this. Isn't the grap up? So I'm not going to get into the ins and outs. But um, there was a bad injury on the show. Um, didn't like uh, one of the the, the young lads whose name uh, Curtis Murray I think his name is um, went to do a flip to the outside of the ring and caught the uh, the back of his skull on the apron on the way down good times and it was it was bad he basically looked like a faucet had opened up on the back of his head it was really really bad that married it and then <clears throat> Uh, I don't know if, if you've gotten this at... Well, you've probably gotten it at wrestling shows. But maybe the, the listeners have experienced it or you've probably experienced it at, at a wrestling show or listeners might have experienced it at like a live music event or something like this. But it was one of the first times I'd experienced it so close and that was um, horrendous uh, abuse of not a kind of like we're all kind of part of the suspension of disbelief but a, a, a more racist and anti-Semitic form of abuse being thrown like normally i don't think anti-semitic because um that's a very specific one <laughs> yeah i mean because i think like for that to be the case like you need the wrestling question to be overtly like, jewish that the the knuckle draggers in the crowd who are going to shout that sort of stuff realize that yeah, they're jewish the only two i can think of off the top of my head who are very very much into that is cult and David Starr, who was the yeah, yeah, recipient, was the recipient of this yeah. this abuse, yes. um, and so I th- I think I've I've noticed like maybe one or two shows in the past where there's been like, a, a vague smattering of like sexist possibly yes yes um, but other than that for the most part it's generally just been like varying degrees of stupidity yeah yeah that's usually which, what it is or yeah. drunkenness or drunkenness yeah, yeah which you know the two go hand in hand yeah, usually absolutely. Um, and now it, it bears saying that within the last year and a half or so, the two of us have been to like a, a lot of wrestling shows in in the the south of the USA in Texas, where stereotypically you would expect some sort of racist thing. From, well, from you say that, people. but I mean, two two points to that. Let's be fair. Um, Again, I'm saying stereotypically. You know, I'm not saying that's my view. Well, I was going to say that, first of all, I mean, the NXT show alone, I doubt that venue was filled with, you know, a, a predominantly uh, Texan-sized portion of the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second of all, we was in a fucking Dallas Cowboy Stadium. I don't think you're really going to pick out individual chance. But to be fair, even um, going around the city that week, like, it was the no, most kind of multicultural but, and welcoming. Yeah, but like, I, I, again, I think stuff like WrestleMania is actually, like, a stupid... From the three times that I've been, it's nothing but just kind of positivity and good times. But what I mean is, like, just the, the locals that were working in places that we were... Uh, uh, yeah, everything yeah, like sure, that, and just yeah. the people walking around the street, it was a real kind of... Um, like cool, welcoming, like all the all the stereotypes about southern kind of intolerance and racism weren't on show, but the no. the the stereotypes of southern hospitality certainly were. 
They yeah. were some of the nicest fucking people I've ever met in my life. I like like to the point where you're kind of wondering where the cameras are. They're being so overly nice. Well, I mean, partially, and I'm, the answer go- is we're everywhere. We're going well off tangent here, but yeah. do remember that uh, for people to get paid when they're working in the retail, like cafe mm-hmm. restaurant industry, they mm-hmm. need to be as fucking nice but as possible. My, my point is, um, yeah, we we well off there. That it was a much more kind of jarring thing in the middle of Dublin, in the middle of a like. I found, contrary to what the kind of the, the the wider world think of wrestling fans, I find them generally to be quite a welcoming bunch to people of all sorts of different classes and creeds. That said, at the same time, they're very clicky. You know, the, you'll find groups of people that don't like other groups of people, but it's not on the basis of, like, race or anything like that. Yeah. It's because, you know, such and such did such and such to me once, or I know this guy is an arsehole because of this. Um, but generally speaking... Um, I have pleasant experiences and have never kind of... Yeah, I, I find wrestling fans to be opening, welcoming, and completely insufferable. All yeah. at once. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. amazing how they managed to f- host both sides um, of that So yeah, it was it was really well terrible. Well I am one of them as well. Like we were getting uh, anti-Semitic chants that I won't bother kind of repeating on the air because it's awful. Towards David Starr, who is a guy who is known for not putting up with that shit, and it must have been that he didn't hear it, that he didn't respond, because he has been known to rightfully respond when mm. he hears that kind of stuff. It's the same couple of guys who, in the back, all the time were doing this shit, who apparently had done sexist chants a few months before at a show I wasn't attending. Um, and then they were also chanting, build that wall, at a wrestler called El Ligero, who is in fact from, from Leeds. Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> So, show their stunning lack of, among so, other things, intelligence. Unless they think Leeds is like next to Hadrian's Wall, or <laughs> yeah, what yeah, they're going it. They for, want to rebuild but... Hadrian's Wall. They go way back. I mean, in fairness, it does need a bit of work done to it. Yeah. Not gonna lie, you know. Um, but yeah, that was kind of that. That marred the weekend a little bit between that and the injury. Kind of put a. <sighs> yeah. Look, I mean, here's the thing. Um, as as opening and as welcoming and as wonderful as wrestling fans can be. Uh, one area where they lack is humor. Yeah. Uh, certainly when it comes to... Uh, yeah, not... Yeah. When it comes to audience participation. Well, what I find is the... It's the... What I what we would call the blow-ins. The people who aren't regulars, who aren't kind of... Haven't that got anything kind of uh, invested in the product. They're just like... They saw a wrestling show was on and they wandered in. Well, I, I think it's a combination of that. And it's also another thing of... Uh, like, if they find something that does get a laugh... Then it's like, okay, yeah. I have my one line now. Let yeah. me hammer yeah. that in. Uh, but I mean, anti-Semitism, sexism, wh- whatever it is, obviously goes without saying. Is completely fucking unacceptable. Yeah. There's actually a great article on on I think Voices of Wrestling. This no, past it was weekend, an, it was on I think it's PW Ponderings. I think. Oh maybe? yeah, yeah, no, it was. You're right. Yeah. You're right. yeah. Um, but I mean, did did OCC? But I presume they put some sort of response out to. <laughs> they said point them out next time, even though <laughs> as we were all fucking pointing them. Yeah, uh, we were telling them to shut the fuck up, and everyone was pointing right at them, Good and they were standing in the same stuff. place. As they were the first time, and they apparently did the sexist stuff, and everyone told them where they were standing. Good anyway, stuff. that's besides the point. Let's talk about happier things, sort of. Let's talk about video games playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark. Oh, yeah, let me talk about is back. Too. The knack is yeah. back. The knack is back. Fill me with the joy. 
uh, of, of the knack attack. Okay, you know, I'm I'm going to be as open and as honest as I can be with you here. Yeah. I played the damn thing for 10 minutes. Yeah. Because it was all I could stomach of it. Yeah. All right, so the the knack 2 demo dropped, uh, the, I believe, at the weekend. Uh, I never played the original knack um, because I didn't have a PS4 uh, launch at, at launch. Yeah. Uh, and also because... I'm not going to play bad platformers. <laughs> by the time you got it, the word was out. You know, I, I, I am, look, I am a platforming prodigy, but I'm not, you know, no, sick. It's it's a, going a bit far, I think, to say that Knack is bad. What it is, is offensively bland. There is no charm. There is no... I said it to you, it was like a platformer designed by committee. Yeah. It was this collected on platformer by people who seem to miss completely the point of why people liked Collectathon platformers. And Knack is in-house as well. Uh, yeah, Mark Cerny, the guy who yeah. designed the PlayStation 4 itself. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, the... it's not like this is some third-party developer who no. uh, has a track record of, of average platforms or whatever. This is in-house. This isn't ukulele. This is not ukulele, no. Yeah. But even that, I think, from the outside looking in, at least has... I mean, it's ripping off liberally fucking yeah. Banjo-Kazooie. At least it definitely gets why people have come to the dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it gets why people are there. This seemed more like, uh, this is our game that shows off our engine, our uh, the power of the PS4, because it is... At the end of the day, an imp- uh, NAC 1 was and NAC 2 is from the, the videos I've watched today. Um, at least an impressive uh, use of particle physics. Sure. You know, which is kind of a thing that we forget to remark on now because at a certain point that wasn't our benchmark anymore. Now, yes, the particle physics are still there and when Knack like, falls apart and then puts himself back up together again, whatever, that part is fine. Other than that, Knack 2, the demo, for all I could see, and obviously it is a demo, but it looked like a, a bad PS3 launch game, as far as I can see. It looked just, again, like, just more bland, more knack, you know? And that's it kind of... A bland game is almost worse than an actively bad game. Like, the game works. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is functional. Yeah, it is functional. You can see what they're going for. And it's just... It just... It lacks heart. Outside of the actual character model of Knack, which I think is pretty cool looking. Yeah. It lacks imagination. But let's be honest, you wouldn't put two stars out of five on the front of the box with like the under bit Guardian says functional, you know? No, no, but that's <laughs> what I mean. That's that's why it, it's worse than a bad game because bad games have these kind of campy quality about them that you 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 play them just like it can't be that bad. Can now, it? I mean, this was a while ago for you, but can you in any way reminisce back to what the, the combat was like? Um... <sighs> There was an in the original knack. I seem to recall there was an overemphasis on combat relative to platforming, as in there was a lot of enemies where there didn't need to be. It felt like they went, "We need something for knack to do here. We're afraid to have him go on for too long without combat." Here's some combat. Well, the the demo opens up with pure combat. You're in like a small arena. Yeah. And the combat immediately uh, came across as clunky and unwielding, mm. and the enemies came across as having AI that was purely functioned as in, uh, there's Knack, aim towards him, swing with your axe every now and again. Yeah, that's that's the one thing it seems to have inherited from old platformers, yeah. is that they just, the AI is 
magnetized towards the the player character and like the the characters disappeared in a way that again this could be it's a demo so you know the polish needs to be added but they kind of they're there and then they sort of just disappear Mm. um the character models look stiff there's not really any life to them the backgrounds look bland yeah doesn't mean like it's all it's it's as Yahtzee once said it's Captain Bland's monotonous adventure it's just they're like there's a story there just because this, there, there has to be a story there yeah you know it's it's all very much it's just it's lifeless it's 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 limp it's it's more knack yeah uh, if you were expecting it to be something else entirely now I can't for the life of me rem- I, I think there is like in that uh, in that character model and in the idea of doing a platformer on PS4, there is the nucleus of a good idea. Possibly, they just need to give it to Platinum. Now, what I'm trying to remember is, I presume Knack must have sold sold relatively well because it was a launch title. And because yeah. what was there for the PS4 launch? There was Knack. There, uh, was... there was sorry, there was Knack. There was FIFA. There was Call of Duty, I think. I there feel like Killzone the, Shadowfall was yeah. the best launch game. Was there like a, a PS4 edition of a PS3 game? I want to say, or did they start trickling down a little um, bit afterwards? I can't remember. I know Resogun was your first free PS4 yeah. game. So I mean, not Plus. like an extensive list of stuff. Lego like, Marvel Avengers, which was a banger. That's true. Um, and out not of Lego, sorry, Lego Marvel Superheroes. And out of those two, but I can see how Knack was the one that. Um, a lot of players would go towards because it's simple, easy, not asking for yeah. a lot of you. That's that's why I had it is because I wanted Killzone, but and, the Killzone bundle was gone, and I was like, I, there's nothing. And else Sony I pushed play. it, so fair enough. Yeah. And let's be honest, like Sony have uh, a decent track record of, uh, you know, collector farm platforming games, whether it be the likes of Jack and Daxter or Ratchet and Clank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was just um, not that Sony made. You know, uh, did they? They did that. No, Jack and Dax was Naughty Dog. Was Ratchet and Clank in house? Ratchet and Clank was Insomniac, I think. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, but they're on the Sony platform. Yeah. Um, but this, I and then just yeah, Sly Cooper as well. Sucker Sly Punch. Cooper, yeah. Check you bringing that one out. Yeah. Uh, this is just offensive, offensively inoffensive. It's just or it was uh, like I said. I think the best way to sum up the Knack franchise is it's a platformer designed by committee, a committee who had no idea why people love these games yeah um which is a terrible shame again because like i'm i i'm all for there being a cool platformer on ps4 that's new Um, so but i will say this i've been looking at the reviews that came out today and basically all the reviews are just the shrugs emoji yeah really that's again and that's worse than it being bad because leave something bad there'd be an element of spectacle to it there there is your keith brony review for (laughs) mac 2 uh, two things I want to talk about on this uh, that I've been playing this week. Uh, the first, and only really quickly, because what is there to say about it? It's a game that's a couple of decades old. Windjammers, which I think um, it's funny watching uh, a bunch of Neo Geo games come out on the Switch. You know, there seems to be like just Neo Geo games getting dropped left, right, and center on yeah, the Switch. Just, and there's no like. Oh, by the way, it's just... No, here's yeah, yeah. Neo Geo games. And I kind of like that. It seems like the best one has now just dropped on, on PS4. Um, Windjammers, for those of you who don't know, is um, like a flying disc, like a, a beach frisbee game um, that was on the Neo Geo. Kind of like a, a top... A sort of 2.5D view. Um, 
like it's it's fast it's it's frantic um there's a bunch of special moves if you played disc jam earlier this year disc jam is very much a a wind jammers clone in a lot of ways kind of. like i well, don't want to i don't want to put down disc jam yeah the concept is wind jammers all over but the actual execution is a bit different yeah well that's like it's a it's an attempt to recreate wind jammers uh for 2017 but here's wind jammers returning um and the things I can say about it is it feels good. Uh, now, I never got to play uh, Windjammers in an original arcade box, so I can't tell you how close it feels in terms of responsiveness to that. It 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 feels grand on a, on a DualShock 4 to play the game. It feels quick. I'm no good at it yet because I've only played a little bit of it yet uh, so far. Uh, it's broken out all the... If you played Windjammers before, and you have, Mark, haven't you? Yes. So you know the way there's that training mode that has all those little different mini games in mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. They've broken all those out into their own separate mini games in a like a mini game sub menu. Cool. As opposed to having them as kind of just training ideas. Um and then the new thing that's added is an online mode um and online leaderboards. And uh from what I can see I played maybe six or seven online matches and the netcode seems pretty good. Okay, good. Uh, I had no issues with lagging. It gives you a good indicator on it, kind of like games like FIFA do, about what, uh, what kind of latency you can expect playing against somebody yeah, most, so you can bail those, out ahead of time. Most of those kind of common online games have that. Um, I watched a couple of quick looks of it, and seemingly you can go into... I think you can go into the settings and set what is your high and low bar for latency. So anybody who's going to be chugging uh, with their latency playing you, you can you can rule out the possibility of that. Um, so that's that. And then the main thing I wanted to talk about was I got, I, I alluded to it on the show last week, but I got Madden 18. Now, I think you were, you were a little surprised that I, I got Madden because it's not something I, I talk about very often. Well, I, I know you're into your sports games, mm. but like, I, I mean, we never talk about NFL because I mean, yeah, why that's... the fuck would you even attempt to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you talk to me about American football, I'm going to go with the band. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a fan of like the sport of American football in a way. But the problem is I watch so much football and American football is on at such weird hours for us over here that I can't commit myself to it. And plus, I don't have that. Like, I know I support an English football team and I'm Irish, but there is a long tradition of, you know, supporting English football teams over here in Ireland that I, you know, that I I feel like I'm, I'm coming into tradition that way, where there's no real traditional affinity for American sports in Ireland. No. no. In that same way. Um, so I appreciate, I, I will watch an American football game if it is on. I host Super Bowl parties every year. Would you I not keep, just immediately go to whatever the nearest team to Boston is? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, that'd be the, the Patriots, New England. Sure. There you go. But, um, Glad I could sort this out for you. I am... Um, I kind of, um, I, I really like the actual game. It's just, again, like I said, it's just, it's, it's, I, I can't, I don't have the hours and the inclination and the patience to keep up with it on the same level as a friend of the show, Jack Lazell does, who yeah. is a huge NFL fan, um, and was pleasantly surprised to find out that I actually get Madden games. And one of the key features of Madden 18 that just came out last week is that it does its own single-player story mode. So you remember we had the journey in FIFA last year? I do, yep. Following your boy, Alex Hunter. Um, well, this is... Um, this is the, the story mode for this is called Longshot. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, I think, first off, 
the the story mode is is better than the journey mm. uh, and it is really uh, a lot of the headlines around it are accurate in as much as it says like uh, madden story mode is better than it has any right to be and that is true uh, it has a very you know the the show friday night lights the small town football team. No, not really. Okay, it's a, it was a very popular show when it was on a few years ago. Uh, I think it finished a couple of years ago. Um, but it definitely has that feel to it of like small town football hero trying to make it big. Um, so you play this guy um, who was a promising high school and college football star. And his, his father tragically... His father played by... Um, Oh, I can never think of the dude's name. Um, is it Mahershira Ali? The guy who um, was in... He's in House of Cards. He was in Luke Cage. Very recognisable actor. He's going to be the the lead in season three of True Detective as well. Um, very good actor. He plays the your main character's father who dies tragically in an accident that kind of makes you... you because of everything that's swirling around in this guy's life... He kind of falls apart, goes away from football. He's considered to have thrown his chance away. And you're still hanging out in your small town with your buddy, a guy called Colton Cruz. The Cruz Missile, he calls himself. He's that kind of joker. Um, and you get a chance, you get called to, to have a chance uh, at the NFL Combine, which is this kind of thing uh, where... It's kind of a, a second chance at the NFL where people who either didn't get plucked out of the draft in college or people who didn't make it to the NFL for whatever reason, A, B, or C, uh, get pulled together into this like week-long training camp where they, they go through specific drills all week long and NFL scouts are watching them and maybe they'll get another shot, get signed to an NFL team. Mm-hmm. And while you're there at the Combine, you meet uh, this producer, this really kind of just smarmy dickhead TV producer who wants to give you an opportunity at an NFL contract in a reality show called Longshot. And through circumstances, you end up having to take him up on his offer and you end up as part of the show where you think you're going to be that it's a documentary following you, but it's actually a contest with a bunch of different dudes. Um, And it's kind of like the story follows you dealing with this newfound fame, both good fame as in people going, oh, like, you know, I like this guy's small town hero story and the the background he's been through. And you're also getting a lot of kind of this dude isn't good enough for the NFL kind of abuse. And you get choices throughout the game as like how you're going to deal with this sort of stuff. And that will basically impact your likelihood at doing well or how other characters will help you out or not throughout the game. And you get to kind of be put under the wing of this NFL coach character called Jack Ford, who's, I think, a really interesting and complex kind of dude who is like a former NFL coach who never really kind of, he kind of faded away rather than having the the long career some NFL coaches do. So he's looking at it for his own chance at redemption through you sort of thing. Um, it's a sprawling story that goes on for about, um, I'd say about eight hours, maybe, maybe a little longer, depending on how good you are at the game and takes you kind of from your backwoods, um, town in Texas all the way up to the finale of the long shot reality show. The, the results of which I will, uh, spare you. 
the the spoilery the spoilery details of. Fair enough. It's pretty much the the, the rags to riches kind of thing. That... Yeah, and it definitely much like the journey. It doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't end. There's no possibility for it ending with you like you know winning a World Cup for your like you know the the equivalent of achieving the highest accolade in football. So obviously it's setting up for a long shot too next year sure. so that you can kind of it it gets you in so that you will buy Madden 19 now to continue this guy's story, which mm. is a, uh, it's yeah, a pretty it's, good idea. It's a sound idea. Um it's a really well-written thing. The game like outside of the, the the like the different ideas for drills and stuff they have in it are cool because by going through the story you're also learning a lot about the game of football both in terms of what you're expected to do from different positions and there are multiple challenges in which you have to understand how playbooks are read which was a real challenge for me as a casual uh, NFL fan um and then finally uh, you know I have to actually talk about the, the game of Madden and it just it feels like Madden it looks good it it plays good if you un- if you understand American football, you will excel at this game. If you don't understand American football, there are kind of things you can toggle with the settings where it will make the plays very simple for you and kind of show you on the map. Okay, you picked this play, so this guy is going to be your best runner from this play. It 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 real it will hold your hand if you want it to, which is always good in a sports game if you're not au fait with it. But yeah, that's that's Madden 18. Uh, thoroughly recommend that story mode. And the, the game is good uh, in itself. Uh, let's move on to the news. I thought this was a, an interesting story to, to lead things off here, Mark. And when we talk about balancing in games, like we usually talk about kind of shooters fighting games things like that those are when you think of balancing you think okay like uh, people complain about one character in street fighter or smash brothers being overpowered so people are going to try and nerf their stats or there was problems with overwatch for a while because there was a couple of characters that they thought were kind of like reaper and a couple of others i think that they thought were overpowered so they would try and balance it so that no one gets an overly competitive edge that there isn't just one character that everybody's going to pick because they have no glaring weaknesses and too many obvious strengths yeah um but i thought it was interesting uh to read this article here from eurogamer that talks about the idea of balancing in a football game in fifa so we're in football game season now as this and the next story will will make abundantly clear we've got um fifa is out i believe three weeks from the day we're recording this uh for people who have pre-ordered it it's coming out um, a few days early for anyone who has a pre-order uh, and then Pro Evo usually in around the same time, um, like usually a few weeks after or a few weeks before. Um, do you think, by um, the way, that's a wise thing to do? Do you think it would not be better to have it like six months? The problem is... Like, I get it because it's in, t- in, in round about in time for the new season. Mm-hmm. I get that. It's kind of in, it's in that nice period in between when the football season starts and when all the other games come out um, and Christmas. So there's plenty of time for the bundle to be bought before Christmas if you're going to get the the FIFA. Yeah, bundle. I guess. I mean, obviously um, there's a there reason. Are, there are definitely reasons, and like part of it, I'm assuming at this stage is just that it's it's tradition. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if it's that or just come on, we don't give that much of a fuck at this point. Yeah, yeah. But there was also kind of, I suppose, part of it is that like Pro Evo's never been able to. Come compete with fifa oh god no well that's like, even... FIFA, st- fifa stays in the charts in, in the uk for sure 
all year round. Oh yeah, the, I saw a report today that FIFA 17 is still in the digital. Yeah, so stores. it really doesn't matter when FIFA comes out. You're still competing with FIFA. So I can I can't see why Konami still wouldn't you know say fuck it, let's give it a shot and. Anyway, Although, whatever. The one just... thing that's uniquely Konami about that situation is that last year they released Pro Evo and they didn't have updated rosters, so they may as well have <laughs> released it in May. Well, you know what? There we go. And they didn't update it for, I think, nearly a month uh, afterwards, which is really annoying. But um... well, I, You know what, as well, because um, Neymar is um, on the demo. He's in the mm. Barcelona team. Yeah, yeah. So they still haven't well, that's, that yet. Yeah, the, those are usually the, the demos that usually come out around this time before the football games come out are usually the ones that they cut in time for E3. Fair. And That's such fair things point. during the summer. So, sure. like, they don't take the summer transfer window into account, mm. usually. But there will be, for FIFA anyway, there's always, always a day one patch that has everything completely bang up to date. But, um... Yeah, so one of the things that, that fascinates me is the idea of balancing um, the, the AI and how things work. Because there's a lot of complicated physics going on in a football game. Um, and on top of that as well, I think we talked about this on the show before, either with you or when it was me and Brian doing the show when you were away. But it's incredibly, the, the crunch people making sports games must be under is something I don't... Well, it, it's a nine-month window. Yeah, that's it. Like, So if a game's coming out every 12 months, realistically, it's a nine-month development cycle and then three months of polishing and, and on top press of that, and releasing and then relaxing a little bit before you come up with the ideas for the next I can't one. even imagine it's that much because you're still like in the There's whole still time aftercare and well you're still doing work and whatever on the previous year's launch mm-hmm. you know you've still got servers that are being upheld and whatnot yeah I just I yeah I, it's, not for me. it's not for me not, um, anyway, I'll tell you Anybody who has worked for any period of time on a sports franchise is battle-hardened and you would want them at your studio mm-hmm. because they could handle the crunch. Yeah. But uh, allow me to read here a little bit and just uh, see kind of uh, if this provokes any any thoughts from you here, from Eurogamer. I recommend everybody reads this article from Chris Tapsell. Um, Pace, strength, finesse shots, crosses, the four most contentious points of FIFA's balance that I can think of, and they come up every year as predictably as Antonio Valencia's ball into the box, which is a football joke. Ha 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 ha. Well done, Eurogame. Um, but it's it's an article that kind of um, talks with the FIFA development team and talks about... You don't generally think that something as simple as, like... I would be considered a a moderate to heavy FIFA user. Heavy in terms of the amount of hours I put into the game every year, but moderate in the amount of modes that I use because I Ultimate Team, which is inarguably, I think, the most popular mode in the entire game, I don't use except to get trophies. Um, I don't really play online multiplayer at all. Uh, I play local multiplayer and I play career mode by myself. Those are the two modes I play. But you don't really think of something as simple as changing very slightly like the the responsiveness of a button or the height of a cross or yeah. something like that people who've been playing these games for years and it's the same as the fighting game community uh, it's an interesting parallel to draw like if you change something even slightly it fucks everyone off because if i go to play FIFA 18 in a couple of weeks and I go to hit the button to whack in a cross and this thing the the exact amount of time that I hold the cross button down for is muscle memory I don't have to think about it because I know where I wanted to go I've been playing these games so long I know where I wanted to go if you fuck the balance of that up 
even slightly. It's going to be weeks and months before I get that yeah, re into my head. You know? Um, like you talk to you, you've talked to developers in your time. You you work in customer service in games. Like how? What are your thoughts on this kind of like just the the, the absolute kind of tightrope act that is balancing in well, games? I mean, I, that's kind of like apart from the the two points of me bringing up the story are one, everyone should read this article whether you like sports games or not because it's a really interesting look, and then two this is kind of a thing that a lot of um, games experience in one degree or another. Well, let me put it to you like this. I work in a game where we have a bunch of different classes, and mm-hmm. so players have their particular class that they're a fan of, and you see it with something like Overwatch, where, you know, one class gets nerfed, and another class gets all of this, and it's all that kind of balancing act to make the game as fair as possible. And, you know, if your class loses something, then you're immediately going to presume, oh, my class is... is underpowered or not as as powerful and so i get this on a a weekly to monthly basis so i'm very much aware uh, of this um and yeah like you think about the stats and the 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 numbers and the sheer just the the number crunching that goes into all of the different players Mm. around the world that are in this game that need to be evaluated and given a, a you know a criteria and have their stats set to like speed and strength and technique. Mm. Uh, it's you know it's completely insane. Yeah, uh, like one of the things that's leveled that people who are kind of looking from the outside in at sports games in particular, one of the common criticisms is, well, year on year they don't change that much. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a popular thing that people say. Problem is, at least from a mechanical standpoint. The community, the ones who are buying the game every year, don't want it to change no. that much. FIFA, like I said, FIFA, there was a period where FIFA ran out of steam, at least in the the kind of the hardcore community, the hardcore football sim community. And Pro Evo became the 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 the, the just the, the iconic game for a lot of us growing up. When FIFA started doing this thing where every year, every single year, from about 2003 or 2004 on um for a couple of years would try one new massive seed change in how the game was played physically like not different modes not a story mode like they're doing now they would do things like fifa 2004 had this thing called off the ball where you would with the right stick be able to control a player who isn't on the ball while you're controlling the player who is on the ball and people hated it and they focused so much on this new kind of game-changing mode that they broke balancing all across the game. It was frequently possible in that game to score from the halfway line, no matter what difficulty it was on. Yeah, I and like here's the thing. I mean, you're absolutely right that why you would at this point change FIFA in any way yeah. and completely just... You know, like maybe at some point they have to take the risk and change something to if if sales start to to sag. But you know that's just not the case. Um, you know, I think about something like the the WWE Two K series at this point, mm-hmm. where I mean, I a large number of people. Um, I I may be off the the polls in this one, but I feel that that's a series where for what is a, a an annual iteration is in desperate need of a complete overhaul of that in-game engine yeah you know? like i'd say what they're doing now is they're slowly chipping away at things over and over and as many good ideas they've had they've had bad ones 
it's, so, it's like, a parallel they, step every yeah, time. Like they slightly make some things better, but then they do things like introduce the lock picking mini games for submissions or things like that. Whereas they just weren't happy to sit on the like it was it wasn't as good as like No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000. That 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 engine was just for people like us. We yeah, love yeah. that. But there was something to be said for the the engine in those early SmackDown games. That those games they felt different, but they were fun. You know, like yep. here comes the pain is is, a, is still a fantastic game. Indeed, I, I love absolutely. that game. But yeah, they 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 completely fucked it. Uh, <laughs> they really really badly did. But uh, that's just an interesting like for people who don't kind of think about engines and physics and balancing a lot. That's an interesting look inside just how just how badly think like it's the slightest tweak how badly you can fuck things up for a community. Um, speaking of FIFA. Moving on to another news story here. The career mode, which I mentioned before. Um, career mode in FIFA is basically you are the manager of a club and uh, you get, as of last year, you get a bunch of different board expectations to perform with your club, whether it's promote them, win the title, finish mid-table, uh, get these transfer targets, um, achieve this much in shirt sales or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um the last couple of years has seen a real dedicated effort to try and beef up that career mode because I think they figured that people who don't bite for the ultimate team that there's a lot of me there's a lot of people like me who are kind of FIFA players for many many years before there was proper solid online play and want this kind of stuff so EA Sports has finally lifted the lid on FIFA 18's career mode and revealed interactive transfer negotiations, which, uh, when you read about this, this is a pretty nifty little thing. In a blog post, EA said it has overhauled the transfer negotiation process to create real-time transfer and contract negotiations. The Frostbite-powered cutscenes have interactive decision wheels, which are designed to let you negotiate in person with opposing club and player representatives, including managers or agents. Or you could pull an Arsene Wenger and delegate the negotiations to your assistant because you really have no intention of buying anyone. Here's what the decision wheel lets you do. You can submit an offer fee, including option conditions such as a sell-on clause, which is new for FIFA games. Uh, that's a popular thing in Football Manager, but that's new to FIFA. Mm-hmm. Um, once you submit an offer, you can then begin dialogue with the opposing manager who will either accept, reject, or counter your offer. EA said there's new AI, so opposition managers will engage with dynamic and varied responses to get the best deal for their club. Uh, which is good, like, if it actually is dynamic and is not wanton and capricious, like some <laughs> of the transfer negotiations are in, like, I'll be playing away career mode, and uh, I completely bailed out of a career I was six seasons into, because this kid that I had plucked from a random club and made him basically one of the best players in the world... He was happy. He was my captain. He was playing every single fucking game. And all of a sudden went, I'm out of here. Yeah. Don't like it here anymore. Excellent. <laughs> and my board made me sell him, even though he had six years left on his contract. I, I do think that um, at this point, EA, all they need to do really is just see what football managers do the year before and go, yep, we'll have some of that. Yeah. You know? But apparently as well, you can, um, when you're talking with the player, then you can tell them not only, so you could already tell them what level of involvement they'd have in the squad, all the way from crucial first team player down to kind of youth prospect sort of level, tell them that kind of role. 
but based on what they've said here in the blog post you can basically tell them what position you intend to play them in so if you're buying um a winger but you intend on moving them in center forward you can tell them that maybe they'll like it maybe they won't uh once you sign the deal you can f you get a fancy news clip in the career mode main menu and they also have like an unveiling thing where your manager is holding up the jersey with the player which is just a cool little mm -hmm. kind of cutscene deal so i'm all on board with with these kind of ideas to to beef out these because as well I think that the ultimate team thing, um, there's an awful lot of kind of, um, should we say, ulterior motives going on there. That if I had a kid now who was about kind of like the age where he'd want to play online on FIFA, I don't know if I'd be letting him play ultimate team because a, a lot of kids end up going gaga for microtransactions on that game to pay for packs. I, I, I would have none of that shit. I, I have a, an internal uh, thing in my head where I've muted ultimate dream team. Uh -huh. So I don't actually know what you're on about right now. Um. So like, basically... Oh, no, no, no. I know what you're on about. Uh, yeah. What I'm saying is I don't, don't need to know about it. Cause... Yeah, but, but what I mean is like, I'm happy that the offline game modes are getting beefed out because yeah, yeah. if you're a parent who is worried about your kid becoming this maniac who wants you to give them money for microtransactions, yeah, it's look, it, we, we even both know. if you airlock the game from the internet so you can't play online, there's still plenty to do in FIFA. Yeah, that's, that's what I like to hear. Uh, but we it goes without saying we both know that. Ultimate Dream Team, as far as I'm concerned, is just Ultimate a, Team. Ultimate Team, whatever. You're mixing it up with the popular Sky One Soap yeah, Dream, Dream Team. team. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a sickening cash and grab, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, adding content needs to be done. So it's making uh, a hell of a lot of bank for them as well. So they haven't been uh, taught by the market yet that they shouldn't keep no, doing it. No, and that no. is upsetting, but people are stupid. <sighs> yeah, moving from people being stupid to people being stupid. Warner Brothers <laughs> insists it won't profit from uh, some Shadow of War DLC. So this came to my attention. Um, I I have been... This is becoming the problematic game of the year um, in a lot of ways. It, it seems like this is this is a hotly anticipated sequel, Shadow of War, to, to Shadow of Mordor, which is many people's game of the year a few years ago. And it seems every decision, not Monolith, the studio who made it, but every decision that Warner Brothers Interactive, the publisher, are making around it, has made people's skin crawl. So, first, we had Let's the... just point out, by the way, Warner Brothers really are doing their best to be, like, the Western equivalent to Konami. They're doing... No, what they're doing is they're doing wonders for EA's PR department. Bless the years that EA were getting consistently voted the worst company in America. <laughs> like, between... I, did this start with Arkham Knight? I'm trying to think of, like, where before. Because oh. Arkham, Arkham Knight really felt like the tipping yeah. point. There was the time they tried to... There was the time they put in for nefarious reasons, and I'm not getting into it on this, but look up the time they, they put in a copyright infringement suit against themselves. That's a good one, and it was brought up in Jim Sterling did a video on this topic we're about to talk about this week, and he remember he he remembers well the time they sued themselves. I might need to Google that afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there was the Arkham Knight thing, which was an absolute shambles on PC for ages. No one was getting refunds for it, and then um, they left the. The people who were doing the PC port, Iron Galaxy, yeah. a Dave Lang joint, uh, yeah. they kind of left them rudderless, uh -huh. would not help them, would not pay them more to fix it, and then eventually just threw their hands up in the air and went, we're not going to fix it. Having taken it, they took it off Steam, decided this... they couldn't fix it, and then put it back on Steam 
utterly broken. This that story to this day, yeah, just it's one of the most fascinating things in the world as well. Um, if you have the time, because I think he goes on for it for the guts of an hour. But to look up the edition of the there's a they've they've parsed it on YouTube somewhere. The edition of the Giant Bombcast where Dave Lang in as close as he can legally get to talking about yeah, the situation, yeah, yeah. explains how that all went down. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, you can kind of guess and fill in the blanks as to who he was trying to body. But, anyway. And now, now with Shadow of War. So, first we had the online marketplace with microtransactions for loot boxes. Loot boxes? Yeah. Put them all now, your games. When the first couple of details about loot boxes came out, I went fine because loot boxes at times and i drew overwatch as a comparison um they don't tempt me and they don't offer anybody who gets them a competitive advantage sometimes right in games like overwatch because it's just it's skins and stuff like that i still do think the ulterior motives of people who have a bit of a completionist streak or say a gambling streak because it's a random loot box it's a real kind of pernicious trying to like a, a real predatory move to try and capitalize on those vulnerable people. Yeah, I just want to say by the way, I worked in a game that had loot boxes and also did offer a competitive advantage yeah. for those. Well, it was a free to play game, so I guess I can't say too much, but still, yeah. well, I'm not well, on board with it. Yeah, well, here's the thing: is that the more details I read about this, the more actually the loot boxes in Shadow of War do offer a competitive advantage because one of the Ooh. one of the 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 features of this game is that you were able to build your own orc army to go and take over places in Mordor. Yeah, that sounds completely like a skin swap, mm. but the, the that's the thing that you can do through your own industry in the game. That's fine. Right, it's not like you won't get that ability by not getting DLC or anything like that. But it's that. Uh, you can do this a lot quicker. You can buy orcs right. in the loot boxes. You can get orcs. I don't think you're guaranteed an orc, but you can get orcs or legendary orcs in these tiered loot boxes uh, yeah, yeah, on yeah, this yeah, marketplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's not great. Then there was the you can get uh, exclusive skins and things like that if you buy uh, microwave pizzas. Or was it pizza snacks or something like that? Was it Tostitos or? Can we not talk about pizza right now? I'm very hungry. Mm, Indeed. Um, And now there's this. So the director of the first game, uh, Michael Forge or Forge or something. Along those lines. He was the director of the first game. He was directing this game. Died in 2015. So at some point early in the production of this game, tragically lost his life to cancer. which is a terrible shame. He seemed like a genuinely nice guy. Everybody at the studio had nothing but good to say about yeah. him. He seemed like a real good guy. Again, that monolith studio, everybody there seems like c- cool people who really enjoy the lore, really enjoy making these games, really enjoy interacting with their community. The problem should entirely be directed at Warner Bros. <laughs> so they decided what they would do is they would introduce a um, a character in the game that kind of uh, paid homage to their their fallen friend and which uh, is lovely yeah is a guy called forthog the the orc slayer who is this guy who can come he, he he's kind of like the <clears throat> mysterious stranger in fallout have you ever seen the mysterious stranger fallout? so he's this guy that when you you get the perk for the mysterious stranger there's a random chance he will show up in an encounter and kill everyone and help you out of a jam if you're in trouble uh, so Forthog the Orc Slayer was kind of going to be like this so if you invest in the perk or in this case get the DLC he was going to be this guy who there's a random chance he would show up in battle 
and help you out and kill a bunch of people. And the, the promo video for the DLC shows you uh, how it's done. And it is pretty much just a Middle-Earth version of the Mysterious Stranger, which is cool, right? That's a cool idea. First of all, you've just told me that it's a pre-order incentive. No, no it, well, it's it's DLC. I don't know if it's if you have to pre-order it to get it, but this is the thing, right? So I was going to say, if either it had been in-game, there are three ways you could do this. If it was already in-game, fine. We weren't paying anything else. It was just something that they added to the game in a patch. He's in there. Yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Free DLC. Also fine. Mm-hmm. The third one is if me, you're going to charge money for it, that 100% of that money goes to some sort goes of. Goes to, there is a just giving page or something like that. That Again, I will direct you to. Jimster. Any kind of charitable cause. I will, actually, do you know what? I will find the links and put them in the bottom of this show just because I don't want to talk about it and not mention where money should actually be going. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a, a page to kind of uh, to give money to this guy's family to offset the medical costs. Um, that were accrued during his illness. Um, Because America. Go America. Yeah. So what actually happened was that the DLC was um, announced for $4.99 and said it would donate (laughs) $3.50 to the family until the 31st of December 2019. (laughs) So, before we get into the weeds on this, already two qualifiers there. So, only a certain portion of it. They're still skimming, what, $1.50 nearly off the top of that. And only till... And only till December, two years from now. Yeah. Um... People looked into this further, Mark. Okay. Did do you? Uh, is this I, all new to you? No, no, no. I'm up until this point, relatively up until this point, other than some figures and dates. Okay. I'm I'm kind of on board. So this is cool. So now, really, First, throw it at so, me. People dug a little deeper. Turns out, this kind of revenue split, charity, and Warner Brothers, is only valid in North America. <laughs> so anywhere outside of North America, no. Well, yeah. None of the money of it is going towards. The no, one, no one wants to deal with the headache of, like, currency conversion, Indeed. you know? Not only that, Mark, uh, but there's also a good guts of a dozen states in the continental US that they're also not valid oh for. Oh, my God. Presumably because they would actually have to, like, register as a charitable donation, so everything would be sort of maybe tracked or anything yeah, like that. I yeah. can only speculate. Maybe. Uh, that there are certain states that probably have different charitable donation regulations than others. That would be my guess, because it seems like if you look at the states, it's a very arbitrary collection of states. It's not like they're all in one region or anything like that. Um, And basically, all that came out, most news sites, so Warner Brothers Interactive came out and went, no, this is nonsense. There's a lot of money going to the family. And a lot of news sites, like Eurogamer here included, seem to have let it lie at that. Jim Sterling, however, <laughs> did, I think, about a 15 or 16 minute video about this, about what absolute scumbags they are and about how, like, charitable donations in the United States are deductible as tax write-offs. Oh. So you can, if you, what I mean oh is, like, I'm not saying that this is them trying to make money. What I'm saying is if they had made this 100% of this money goes to the family, they could have written off all of that money as an expense on yeah. their tax returns. Yeah. So it cost them like 
that's um that's what Jim Sterling said. Like, there's a lot of companies who do a lot of charitable work. The WWE uh-huh. talk about an American yep. company that both of us like follow. The that. whole of fucking October, yeah, is but you know one of the like they do it because it costs them almost nothing uh, for all these charitable donations because again tax write offs and mm-hmm. things like that. And two, it's great fucking PR. Of course, you know what I mean. Like even if you're, even if everybody on the street knows that it's an ulterior motive that you're doing it like as a tax write off, or you're doing it for PR, you're still doing it. Yeah. So yeah. it's better than not doing like, it. Like the, the biggest critique you'll always get when it comes to this with the WWE is it's so kind of self backhanding. Oh, yeah, yeah. That we they do. don't really mean it. That they're just looking for an attaboy. Yeah. But at least they're still doing it. At least money is still going like, to charity. Like, here, in this instance, and, I mean, to be fair, like, stuff with um, uh, Connor's Cure, I will never go against it. Uh, but at least in this instance here, we're talking about a person that was working within the team that made this game, you know? Now, the official line on this is that neither Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment nor Monolith Productions would profit from any of the sales of the Fortog Orc Slayer DLC, regardless of territory, in which that DLC is sold. Now, my parsing of this phrase, my understanding of this, is that they are justifying it by saying that the rest of this cost, the stuff that isn't going to the family, is to somehow is to go somehow somewhere write else. down the cost of like the bandwidth of downloading oh, this character. I think you know something like that that it offsets the cost of development off. in some way, so it's te- technically not profit or anything like that. There is no reason for this. And I do you know who I, I feel worse for? Apart from the family, I feel worst for as well because they lost their father, their husband. Um, but I also feel terrible for Monolith, who yep. were just like, there is no evidence to suggest that they are part of this kind of corporate plan here. Well, I mean, it's impossible to it know seems, the, it, the minutia. You well, know. it seems very much like, and Jim Sterling said from people he's talked to, it seems very much like. They had a nice idea to honor their friend and co-worker. And, then and a decision Bros. was made from yeah. on high mm. to charge for that. Like, I don't know whether originally the plan was to introduce it for free, to introduce it into the game already and not as broken up DLC, or whether the plan was, yes, we'll charge for it, but 100% of the money will go towards the family or a charity or something like that. Well, I mean, we'll see how this unfolds in the next couple of months, but um, I feel like we've already got our winner of Konami Corner's Most Inept yeah. Award. And do you know what the thing about it as well is going to be absolutely disgusting is the game is going to be really good. <laughs> like, that's the problem, because Monolith made a really good first game, and it will almost certainly be a really good game, and it is 98 or 99% certain to be a financial success. Yeah. You know, that's what's really sickening about it, is that you can't even go, well, this game will go down in flames. It's going to be really bad. It's not. Publishers, eh? That's the thing. But uh, I would urge you, again, vote with your wallets. The reason that Warner Brothers think this is okay is because everybody is pre-ordering the gold edition with all the DLC, all the bells and whistles on it. If you want this game, play it. Brilliant. Fine. Pay the cost price or buy it used. Don't get all the shit tacked onto it. If you want to, if you really desperately want, if there's story DLC or something like that, maybe get that ages later when it's reduced. The only way companies like this are going to learn that they can't do this shit is if you don't immediately throw your money at. Dave, them. I love your heartfelt optimism, but you are screaming into the abyss. But no, but that's what I mean. Like that's no, I know, I, I'm I know. At the, like but. if you're expecting this behavior to change based on these news stories, I'm telling people it's not going to. The only thing these massive companies understand is if something hits their bottom line, if 
if in an ideal world, if when I'm running the place, Mark, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And day one, everybody stops paying for pre-order DLC. Yep. That's what stops it. Right. Okay. So if, Can't wait. Can't wait for that day. Yeah. Right. So if you're someone who doesn't agree with that, stop buying it. You know, stop pre-ordering the DLC before you know what it is. I went off on one two years ago on this podcast. Fallout 4 is a game I've come to admire a great deal. But when Fallout 4 announced a season pass for 50 quid without saying what any of it was because they hadn't thought of it yet. And people still bought it in their droves. You know what I'm looking forward to? When I go down to GameStop at some point and I buy Mario and Rabbids and they'll say to me, do you want the season pass? Mm. Like, I... Or if you can temper yourself for a year and just wait for a Game of the Year edition that is cheaper than the original game with everything in it. I don't buy a lot of games... um, close to launch mm-hmm. that that's just not a thing that i do these days so it does throw me yeah, off it's, it's safe to say that a lot of the games you focus on you're not necessarily worrying about spoilers no 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 <laughs> yeah but a lot of the games um or the, the the few times that i've been into a GameStop and um you know the person behind the counter says do you want like a season pass i have to kind of think to myself oh yeah that's a thing that happens now like all i all i can say is about dlc thank god we still haven't got dlc and online passes mm. that was one beast that did get slayed by people voting with their wallets yeah. um so one can hold the minutest grain of hope my friend speaking of hope let's talk about a positive story that will refresh the energy here going into the back half of this news section uh games done quick uh a group of people that we that you're quite a fan of mark yeah this, this idea of, like, um, how quickly can we speedrun a game or a series of games or, you know, a, a games with a, some sort of theme or something like that. There's summer do, games. Do you, do you remember when it took you, you know, uh, a summer to complete Ocarina of Time uh-huh. and now I've <laughs> seen it be completed in about 16 minutes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, where, like, people either are really good speedrunners or they, they find ways to break the game or things like that. I've never it's seen a, very... a game. To this day, I've never seen a game be broken it's so just in beautifully every, well like there's a beauty right. to the way oh, they break uh, yeah, these oh, games beauty is definitely one way of putting it i uh, just like i can only imagine that like developers of these games kind of go huh yeah okay didn't know you could do that didn't know I could like, do you that. periodically hear stories like we report about how like speedrunners find different things like there was a, a hidden coin found in super mario 64 this year or last year, maybe. Yes, I do that remember. Had, that was just in a wall. Yeah. And someone who had glitched the game found it. There was one recently as well. I think we spoke about this with the person who glitched the uh, the border in um, Hi- Old Hyrule Town in the Wind Waker. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you can't get past that point so much later on. And mm-hmm. someone had figured out a way to kind of get in, like, in the no-man zone and then kind of skip themselves into that part of the game. Yeah. Just fucking crazy stuff. Um, so they they do a lot of kind of marathon plays or kind of um, events, live streams, uh, community events that you, raise money for charity. Usually, if, if I'm correct, the, the last couple of years, I don't know how long they've been doing it for all the organizations. The last couple I remember have been for uh, Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. Uh, is the one that's usually go to. I feel at some point they also doing... take place in the extra life streams. They do extra life stuff, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but yeah, they've made an, an insane amount of money over the years. So, speaking of making an insane amount of money, they came to the rescue uh, for. So, we all have heard if anyone pays attention to the news, the the terrible effects that uh, Hurricane Harvey has had down in Texas. Indeed, uh, hearts go out to, to anybody caught up in that. Um, 
Games on Quick, their last minute online speedrun weekend. So obviously, because Hurricane Harvey only happened not so long ago, they this was all thrown together very last minute. There wasn't the, the, there's usually a lot of hoopla about these big charity events there's, to get as many people involved. There are schedules, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, they managed to raise over two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars US for those affected by Hurricane Harvey. Good stuff. Hurricane Harvey, uh, or sorry, Harvey Relief Done Quick was organized by the Games Done Quick team in just a few days the tweet officially calling speedrunners to arms was published two days before the event went live uh, but gdq received over 350 applicants within a day of the announcement uh, harvey relief done quick raised money for the houston food bank which will provide food and supplies in the short term and for many months to come to the residents in southeast texas who will struggle to rebuild their lives you can check out some of the action from the event in the video below yeah this it's is, uh, when you really think about it like that that really is only um a, a, a tiny fraction of the you know what will probably well probably already has gone into the billions mm. um but you know hey look playing games you know and it, making like, money for you know it, it's cool to see people there. like you know the, these people may not be the best to like volunteer and go down and rebuild houses when the time comes eventually but they're finding their own way to contribute yep. and more yep. power to them yep. and finding an entertaining way to do so to get a community on board who would probably not have otherwise yep. gamers as, as awful as they can be um, stuff like this it really does show the the mm. other side of the, the of good that. side, the, the good not side. Konami corner side, the, of the not on 4chan slash Reddit yeah, slash whatever. Yeah. You know. Um. So this is a cool little thing here. Uh, something I wasn't aware of until I was watching. There was a lot of uh, Pax West was on this weekend, just gone. And um, one thing I did not realize was that this weekend just gone marked the ten year anniversary of the Witcher video game series. Um. So, Witcher 1 was, a, like, a, a game that not a lot of people, not a huge amount of people played. Witcher 2, I would describe as more of a cult game. Well, Witcher 1 was PC? Yeah, I believe so. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it was. Um, Witcher 2 did come to consoles. It was on Xbox 360. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Witcher 3... Uh, like obviously we talk we've talked about it a lot on this podcast it's my favorite game of this generation still um has kind of put this this franchise uh really i think at the summit of fantasy rpg uh video games um and it was interesting there was um at pax west anyone who's a fan of the franchise check out uh danny o'dwyer irishman and uh man behind no clip video game documentaries on youtube um did a panel with the studio who I had just learned over the course of this panel is in fact pronounced not CD Projekt Red but CD Projekt Red so there you are that's cool your, that's thanks your, for that that's your little, uh, little Polish, Polish fact lesson. for the weekend awesome. um, but at the start of the panel so it's like an hour and a half two hour chat with people who had been around some of them had been around from the very start of CD Projekt Red and some of them had kind of come on with two and three and the, the composer for the Witcher franchise was there and one of the guys who founded the studio was there but it was a really interesting chat um, some some good guys there talking about the Witcher but it started off with a, a cool little video that I would urge Witcher fans to check out that just has kind of I wouldn't say it's so much an epilogue because it's a very fourth wall breaking thing where Geralt is hanging out in his house in Toussaint which you find in the, the second expansion pack to the, the Witcher 3 and it's him kind of talking to the player character about how oh, this is how I've been. You know, people are saying I'm getting old now because I'm not, 
you know, off on my big adventures anymore. I help local people with their issues, but I'm kind of just relaxing now. And a lot of different characters from past games are hanging out with him in there. And it's kind of like, it ends with a real kind of tongue-in-cheek, but enough about me. How have you been? Yeah. Um, Which I think is a cool little kind of thank you. Do you want to talk about companies who are just consistently nice with their fans and their community? Like, it's a real... Like, they, they should they should use those guys as a case study for teaching <laughs> customer service to business students in, in college. It's fantastic. Just wanted to draw people's attention to that if they were fans. Uh, don't know if you caught this one, Mark, but uh, Capcom are re-releasing Street Fighter 2. I'll tell you, something that potentially cart. could catch. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. With one hell of a safety warning. This is from Eurogamer again. To celebrate the 30th anniversary of Street Fighter series, Capcom is re-releasing Street Fighter 2 on an actual SNES cart. The only problem is it could cause your SNES to catch fire. In one of the more striking video game safety warnings we've seen, retailer IM8Bit said the brand new playable SNES cartridge may cause the SNES console to overheat or catch fire. SNES hardware is deemed a vintage collectible, so please exercise extreme caution when using the product and make sure there is fire extinguishing <laughs> extinguishment equipment nearby. The warning continues in a somewhat terrifying fashion. Use of the product is at the sole risk of the user. Hey, I mean, we're making this collector's edition thing, but we can't promise it won't burn your house down. It's an interesting marketing <laughs> ploy. It's an interesting marketing tactic. I can say that much for Capcom. Uh, Capcom, they just they just can't keep their heads above water for too long. Yeah. They started off this year well with the banger that is Resident Evil 7. And... Like, the, it was unfortunate enough that the... Um, the cases are only the NTSC model only. Like, there's no yeah. PAL region uh, cases. But then they add this little caveat on, by, oh, by the way, it can, you know. <laughs> by the way, fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I mean, I guess I appreciate the safety warning. Uh, it looks very cool. It's a very nice uh, gesture. Um, but yeah, fire. Like, that's, when you when you make a game, like, one of the things you should definitely look out for is uh, if it will set your console on fire or not. And uh, fair enough to Capcom, they completely managed to fuck that one up. Uh, game creator Sweary, who I think <laughs> I think I think we would firmly put in the category mark of the weird ass auteur. Uh, Boy, he's a fucking weird one, isn't right he? Right up there with like Suda, Yokutaro, and Kojima in the terms of just weird maverick dudes doing whatever the fuck they feel like. See, I so s- Kojima obviously on a whole other universe of budget relative to the others. Well, that yeah, I, I sometimes there. wonder if like Kojima is. For a time, actually. I'm he definitely not... is responsible for these people well, in that's some true. sort of way. For a time, I felt like a K- Kojima had almost become a caricature of himself. I'm not of that uh, mindset anymore. Mm. Certainly not after seeing fucking Death Stranding and him being away from the Metal yeah. Gear universe. Metal Gear Solid Five, um, having played through that, made me realise, among other things, like fuck Konami and things like that, mm. made me realise that Kojima has been more self-aware about what Metal Gear is than a lot of us gave him credit for for a lot longer than we thought. Yeah, yeah. You know, he knows what's... He knows. Like, I, it's, I feel like the equivalent with this, though, is that um, you, you say that you're into the kind of, like, the more alternative stuff, and you'll say, like, the Pixies or, uh, like, Sonic Youth, and then you've got, like, underneath Suda and Sweary that they're, like, fucking Tad or some fucking, like... <laughs> unheard of Seattle band that had like an EPL in 88 and 
five people have a copy of it at this point, yeah. and four of them used to work at Sub Pop Records. Uh, so Sweary, the creator of Deadly Premonition and D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die, and the founder of new indie studio White Owls, has announced that his next game will be funded through crowdfunding platform Fig. Now, have you ever even heard of Fig before? No, this no. Is, I was going to say to you, as like I have never heard of Fig. <laughs> nope, never heard of it. No. Kickstarter, oh, would, boom. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if he fucking made it himself. Indiegogo, I could tell you about that. Bandcamp for music, I've heard all. I this wouldn't shit. be surprised if Fig is a platform when you have to pay him through <laughs> the medium of cats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Good Life, which Swery describes as a debt repayment life simulation <laughs> RPG, which let me tell is that you, just Animal Crossing. I was going to say. <laughs> It's like you're, you know, you're paying it back to Nom Took or something like that. Instead of playing, is it bells you pay in that? You know what, right? You'll be paying back in chimes. You know what, right? Um, I know that a friend of the show, not that he's ever been on the show before, uh, Matt Niner, he is a... Friend of the show. He is a friend, friend of the, of the show. show. He's a business teacher, right? And, you know, fair enough, like, yeah, I think he dude. had... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also me. Yeah. True. Um... I feel like he really should kind of apply his business model on or teaching around the, the concept of I have used Tom Animal Luke. Crossing and you business have? lesson. Yeah. Really? Yeah. To As kind of a like, because a lot of the kids would have played Animal Crossing. And I'm just like, this is why you can't, like, it, it's, a, it, it's a lesson about consumer choice and about how you can't have everything you want. Because periodically, people like Tom Nook are going to remind you, you got debts to pay. <laughs> <laughs> like you get 400 say you get like 400 quid a month yeah like say or you're, you're you're that badly off you get 400 quid a month you could buy a ps4 or you could feed yourself mm-hmm. you can't do both mm-hmm. and yeah i would incorporate animal crossing in different ways like i'm not a big animal crossing expert but i i looked it up to fit it in i've also used the hunger games to explain the ulster plantation before you got to keep up with the kids like you really do with some of this stuff. you can talk to me about that one afterwards yeah. Um, anyway, mad tangent aside. Uh, yeah. yeah, this fucking thing. So uh, we, I know I, I can't remember if we spoke on the show about it, but I know we have spoken about it. Uh, this is a game, as mentioned, a debt repayment life simulation RPG, part murder mystery and part life sim. Um, MCV think it's a, a more deadly version of Animal Crossing. About a New York photographer, Naomi, who travels to a sleepy British town called Rainy Woods, the happiest place in the world where all the residents inexplicably turn into cats during the night. <laughs> and I've seen a list of some of the cats as well, and there is a cat called Gay Cat. So Amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah, uh, this this is... Uh, you can crowdfund this through Fig. I haven't looked it up yet because, I mean... <laughs> well, at the time of this article it? being written um, on Monday of this week... Uh, it had reached 10% of its $1.5 million goal. Of that figure, around 75k has been raised through FIG's investment and 83k through traditional crowdfunding pledges. Uh, for the good life, FIG has lowered the minimum investment to around $100 for a share of the game. So this must be, rather than like a standard crowdfunding thing, this must be like you are actually an investor. It's less about kind of pay the minimum amount so that you can get the game. It's more about, no, you're actually going to be a, you know, quote-unquote producer. That's, uh, that is interesting. Mm. I, I wonder. $100 minimum. That's, yeah. that's a bit steep for me, to be honest. Um, let's talk about Twitter. <laughs> and let's talk about a new Twitter account. 
at Sega CD games, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I had seen this. I, I you found the news story, but I had seen these pop up around Twitter. I didn't know where they were coming from because people weren't retweeting it; they were just screenshotting. Yeah, I I don't know if they established who actually uh, is the owner of this account. So uh, the Sega CD is often cited as one of Sega's first big, but definitely not last, big missteps on their slow spiral out of the console market. The system was criticised for featuring far too many Genesis ports and FMV games. With only a handful of must-play titles, the system was soon phased out for the more powerful Sega Saturn. If only there were more quality Sega CD games out there for us to fawn over. Enter Twitter account Sega CD Games, an unofficial online entity that has been posting very convincing mock-ups of hilarious and bizarre Sega CD games. This account, which has been posting games since March of last year, I cannot believe it took this long to catch on has amassed over 16,000 followers, and who's surprised with gems like these? And there are pictures of games called Pizza of the Morning Star Saga, Pizza and the End of Time. <laughs> We've got Oliver and Company, the game, which popped me. That is an incredibly specific reference. Uh, then we've got I'm Fine Melissa, Six Stages of Life, Six Fateful Meetings, Six Chances to Prove You've Moved On and Are Not Currently Three Ducks. <laughs> Doing Donuts on John Madden's Lawn 93. Don't Make the Dog Happy, We're Trying to Train Him. Cool Spot Buries the Bodies. Echo Watches the Titanic Sink. And Ernest Hemingway's, and there's just a bunch of Japanese symbols, and there are two foxes, one is on fire, and there are helicopters, and it looks like Apocalypse Now, and I want to play it. The boy who was fired from delivering papers and thus in a fit of rage turned to delivering hoagies nobody wanted. And you know what? You know what? <laughs> that was very much like, that That reminded me, you know that um, that Johnny Bravo episode where they have the Twilight Zone, but they can't call it the Twilight yes, Zone? Yes. So they call it the zone where normal things don't Ooh, happen yeah. very often. Uh, I need to watch that episode again. one of my favourite dumb jokes of all time. And you know what? I would rather play any of these than Night Trap. <sighs> indeed, indeed. Um, Mark, let's take a very, very brief segue into the release date roundup. Mark, Resident Evil 7, which I genuinely do think is one of the best games that was released this year. Yep, um, still thinking that, because it was at the start of the year. Genuinely, it has not been moved out of my top five. Um, I'd have to sit down, but it's probably... Second or third. But we will have that discussion at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And around at the time of the end of the year, Capcom's Resident Evil 7 will be returning to retail with a new gold edition on mm -hmm. December 12th. And this is... Gold edition is kind, is basically game of the year. Yeah, yeah It's their much. way of saying game of the year yeah. edition. Uh, what uh, DLC or what was there? So with? there's been band footage, volume one and volume two. So you know that like the VHS, finding VHS yes, tapes aesthetic yes, has gone yes, on there. Yes, yes. So there's band footage where you, there are videotapes and you go into the videotapes like you do in the main sure, game sure, and sure. you play through different small stories in it. So there's two volumes of those. There's a, they're, they're not part of the main story, but they're pretty cool little things. Uh, we've also got the, the end of Zoe DLC, which is um, kind of follow-up DLC on the main story, which tells you what happened to Zoe Baker, which is the, the character who, I think she's the one who is on the phone to you, okay. that's telling you what to do to help you survive. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, so that's kind of what will be coming in the box. And also, uh, as part of this announcement, they said that the... Uh, not a hero DLC, which is the Chris Redfield based DLC. That oh is, hell, Team that Bunny Lord. That is is teased post credits in, 
um, Resident Evil 7. The game has been out nearly a year now. Do not be mad at me for spoiling that part. Chris Redfield <laughs> is teased at the end of that game. Um, there's Chris Redfield DLC and they announced that that is out today, which I'm immediately going to download when I'm done here because I really wanted to play that and it kept getting delayed because uh, in fairness to them, they said they didn't think it was good enough yet for the standard they had set with the main game. I, I know I keep joking about it, but I, I genuinely, I really fucking hope Bunny Lord is in it. Like, it, just <laughs> seriously, like, I would probably play that. It's really been the year of, like, just franchises coming back with a bang. Like, the Bandicoot is back, Resident Evil is back, fucking Sonic is back. It's been a weird year for that kind of stuff. And um, I definitely think if you've got a little bit of extra coin coming up to Christmas... Or if Santa's asking what you might want, you could do a lot worse than getting Resident Evil 7. Unless you get the heebie-jeebies like Mark does, in which case you probably couldn't do worse because it is... Heebie-jeebies is putting it lightly. It, I couldn't even make it through the fucking trailer for it. Right? Uh, yeah, you would not Though, have been, I will and say... And you couldn't make it through, what is it, did you get about 60 seconds into watching the start of that, of uh, Resident Evil 7? Oh, not even that. I yeah. will say this, though, because uh, we I can't remember if this was on last week's show we were discussing this. No, it wasn't. It was off the air. Um, you were talking to me about you and Emma watching the original It. Uh-huh. And, like... The, the, the sense of an engine of disbelief being completely broken by Tim Curry's New York cabbie accent. Yeah, I had completely forgotten about that. I watched a scene with him in, like, I can't remember if it was a library or some public area. Um, yeah. And he's on the balcony and he's, like, shouting yeah. down... I, I couldn't not yeah. hear that it now. It completely breaks it. I fucking died. Yeah, I it died. Com- it completely breaks it. Yeah. Like, the, like, because, I, I, I think I've said it on before, but, like, she's not, not cool with clowns at all. A lot of people aren't. But, um, which is, you know, reasonable. Your first sight of Pennywise in that movie, the original movie, is fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, it is even to people who are okay with clowns. I don't know who those monsters are, because I'm not scared of clowns, but I prefer if there weren't clowns <laughs> as well, because, like, clowns are weird. On the man. scale of clowns to not clowns. <laughs> <laughs> definitely have like I'm not scared like it's kind of like if there's a bunch of clowns I'd probably be scared of them yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean it's like a spider's thing I'm not scared well, the of collective... a spider but if there were 400 spiders if there was a hopeless amount of spiders if there was a hopeless amount of spiders I wonder what the collective noun for clowns would be a fuck of clowns <laughs> <laughs> anywho um, yeah like that fucking voice I just because I don't think they've yeah but yeah that's what I mean like you see him through the like, do you remember you see him through the like the the washing line yeah, yeah, yeah. there's clothes and it blows and you see him like with the teeth and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's really freaky um, but then he starts talking to Georgie it's like we all float down here Georgie and you hear that and you just think like there's a guy there's like a Manhattan cab driver <laughs> There's a guy from Queens who just wants to fucking get home. Because I can't remember in, in the new trailer. Do you hear Pennywise speak? At so- no. Uh, not in the first one, anyway. I haven't watched anything past the first one because I don't want it to spoil me. But yeah. Stephen King, uh, although if you read any book Stephen King has released since his near-fatal accident years ago, his barometer for a good taste <laughs> is all over the place now. <laughs> but he said it's really good. Yeah. Um... A lot of people are saying it's shit scary. It's oh, way worse than the first one. Cool. I'm not going to fucking watch that then. Also, you got to remember that the first one was relatively low budget because it was a TV movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. But yeah, that's kind of off the point. I think um, if you like horror games or if you just like good um, narrative in games, um, Resident Evil 7 is one of the best games of the whole entire year. Brought a franchise that should have been completely dead. 
a fucking Resident Evil 6 in a lot of ways. What in the world? By the way, I've looked it up here before we go on to the game of the week this week. Um, The glossary for collective nouns by subject. You can say either a pratfall of clowns, an alley of clowns, or most accurately, a shudder of clowns. Oh, wow. Indeed. You know what I've just come up with in my head? A Slenderman version of it. And I don't want to play that. (laughs) By the way, the correct collective noun is a quiver of cobras. In case you were ever wondering what the collective term for cobras is. What fuckwits have to come up with this, honestly? There's ones for cobblers as well. Uh, A cutting of cobblers, a drunken ship of cobblers, or a load of cobblers. (laughs) Which I think is just a real, just let down there at the end. That was a lack of effort. Anyway. Anyway. Let's move on to the Link to the Cast book club where we talk about an important game from the past that we think you should either revisit or look at for the first time if you haven't before. And this week, Mark, it was your turn to pick. Yes, this week we're talking... <laughs> Sorry, you've never done that before. Yeah. This week we're talking about Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight is a 2D side-scrolling platform game developed and published by Yacht Club Games. Following a successful Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign, the game was initially released for Microsoft Windows, Nintendo 3DS and Wii U in June 2014, and ports of the game for OS X and Linux followed in September of the same year. Ports of the PS3, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita and Xbox One were released in April 2015, the Amazon Fire TV in September 2015 and the Nintendo Switch in March 27. Shovel Knight is inspired by gameplay and graphics of platformer games developed for the NES. The game has achieved critical acclaim and won various awards. Following the release of two additional campaigns with a third currently in development, the original story developed uh, for Shovel of Hope and the full game is referred to as Shovel uh, Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. Uh, So, Shovel Knight is a game that when I originally saw it uh, in its kind of Kickstarter form... Um, as you can imagine, me, Mark Robinson, platforming prodigy, mm-hmm. I was slightly drawn towards it. Yeah. It's uh, piqued your interest, you might say. Just a bit. The game, uh, you know, it, very much in the kind of, and we're still, I guess, in that era, but the, the kind of renaissance of uh, retro NES-style games, mm-hmm. you know, um, that started, I guess... I know there were games of that ilk, like, before Capcom came back with Mega Man 9, but for me, I feel like there was kind of the starting point of, like, one of the bigger publishers going back to that kind of visual style, and we, we've seen it uh, kind of come leaping heads and bounds since. Yeah. Um, 
the thing about Shovel Knight is that it, it kind of ticks all of the boxes when you're a person who remembers playing those old-style NES platforming games. It looks like a NES game. It sounds like a NES game. It plays like a NES game. But the uh, all-encompassing, pretentious line that you can use, it feels like a NES game. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm going to, before I, I, I go off on one, as I'll be more than happy to do, I'm going to swing to you quickly, find out uh, where your experience with Shovel Knight up to this point is, and yeah. if you have any, what platform you were playing on. Um, bit of an unconventional one on this one. Um, so, was it two summers ago? What was that summer that I ended up in hospital when I was visiting you? Was that two summers ago? No, two summers ago, I this time would be in China, so it would be the summer before that. Was it not early that summer? Was that not the last time I saw you before you went to China? It could have been, possibly. Yeah, so I think it was June of that year. So 2015. So, yeah, I was thinking, because that's the summer I headed to Malta. And I got this game when I was going to Malta. And I got it on my PlayStation Vita. Because this was... You remember there was a period of time where I was glued to my Vita. And I was buying indie games out the wazoo. Yeah, do you remember the time when the Vita was the indie platform? Yeah. Oh, do you remember the what time, time that, that was? Do you remember the time that I nearly stayed on the train after it stopped near your station because I was playing Fez on my Vita? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got it on the Vita and um, it seemed like it had everything I wanted. Like, um, I like an old school platformer. Um, I, I, I like to pretend sometimes like I can... Uh, still do difficult ones, but uh, I have since given up that ghost. I will probably never beat Mega Man 2 again in my life. Because um, so long has passed since I played <laughs> games like that regularly that it's just the muscle memory is gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, the moat in your own is just not there anymore. Yeah, but Shovel Knight has this kind of... This unbelievable aesthetic. And I said retro renaissance at the start, and that's what part of this is. Like There was a period of time in the... the sort of start of this generation end of last generation where the retro style game at least in terms of art and music really came back into vogue mm. um or at least you know there was a lot of games that took that retro idea and then sometimes expanded on it you had one of the early ps plus games on ps4 was mercenary kings which was oh metal yeah, slug yeah. Top yeah, to yeah. Bottom. there was that that um, and uh what was the other one uh bro bro force bro force yeah, yeah kind of of that nature um, yeah so shovel knight again seemed uh i like the character design i like the art when i started the game i really appreciated the music on that small vita screen it really pops as well it's a really like even for a game which looks like it came right off the snares, it is, even by that standard, colourful, yeah. like you wouldn't believe. Um, and that's kind of, like, that's that's where I got on with it. And I've, like, I couldn't say for 100% certain that I beat it, but I definitely played it for a good while. I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, and I got, a, I got a fair way through it, I believe. Uh, I didn't bounce off it as quickly as I bounced off some of the other kind of, like, um, retro renaissance games like I believe I was playing Proteus at the time as well and a few other bits like that but uh, really really like it um, even though you know when the difficulty curve goes up it kind of loses me <laughs> towards the end of that yeah. game but uh, a fan nonetheless I would say I think one of the things uh, because when people immediately look at Shovel Knight 
they immediately just go with, oh, hey, it looks and plays like Mega Man, mm. which is not entirely the case because... Um, it's not for... It's it's a good, clumsy comparison for people who aren't, com- like, au fait. I mean, when you look at it, immediately you would make that presumption, which is fair yeah. enough. And obviously there are, there are a number of game design tropes that uh, Yacht Club use when making Shovel Knight or when they've made Shovel Knight. Um, the the most obvious one is the hey we will introduce a mechanic in a safe environment where you're really not going to die unless you are completely inept. We'll show you in this environment and then we'll immediately or somewhere down later in the level we will use this mechanic again in a in a more hazardous uh, place where you know the the challenges the ante is upped but mm-hmm. you are now aware of this mechanic. Uh, they do a great job of that, and that you know is one of the the, the kind of classic staples of any of the Mega Man games, uh, going back to the original. But because where Mega Man is a, a, a run and gun type game, you know yeah. you're you're constantly aiming to the right and shooting, and you know it's it's a projectile based uh, style of combat. Where here with Shovel Knight, well, I mean, his name is Shovel Knight. He has a shovel. <laughs> Can I just say, like, just from the like, just the concept of a shovel knight, yeah, is the most beautifully dumb fucking thing <laughs> I, I may have ever heard of, and it's part of why I got on board. I'm just like, just this. If you've ever seen the character model, and it will surely be uh, on the the kind of the, the the show notes for this over on WordPress, just this beefy like barrel-chested medieval knight horned helmet away and a shovel. Do you know what it is? It's a, it's a Shikara gimmick. Yeah, it, oh, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, you'd see him in a six-man with a couple of the ants. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or some of the other knights as well. Um, yeah. Because I will say this, it does follow the model in that um, you have to defeat the other knights uh, to, to progress the game. Although it uses the Mario 3 overworld system uh-huh. in that regards. It really, it just like picks elements from all of those yeah. classic 2D uh, NES yeah, games. Yeah, Yacht sat back and just, what are our favourite things about the games we played growing up? Let's take all the good things. Yeah. But because of that, um, because it's it uses, uh, Shovel Knight uses a shovel, the actual combat is more... Uh, it it's more kind of close. It's more CQC, you mm-hmm. know. CQC. Yeah, yeah, and so that does, in a way, entirely change how the game plays and the way that you traverse through the environment because you can use um, uh, basically Scrooge McDuck's um, like kind of bouncing mechanic from Ducktales. Yeah, you use that as as with your shovel to help kind of progress to like secret areas in the game or just to kind of get to higher part parts of, of the level. Um, so that completely changes the way that, that Shovel Knight plays, essentially, yeah. you know? Uh, it, and I, it changes the, the concept of traversal uh, absolutely. beyond your standard yeah. platforming um, fare. Yeah, and so it also it does create a lot of times where you'll have moments in a level where if you don't kind of quickly grab on board, oh, hey, I can get to this or I can do that, you know, you'll be on some sort of breakable element. Mm-hmm. And once the element's gone, you can't, get to that area now so you'll have to do the, the level again which yeah. adds a bit of kind of replayability because it makes you have to memorize the levels to say yeah. right i need to this is the point at which i need to diverge yeah uh, but i never 
when replaying levels because the the, the levels are so uh, detailed because they're so well designed they like, are, it's they not really just are. like we need to have a world one one so slap one together yeah it all feels painstakingly crafted and, and I tell you what and I hate to have to bring it up again but like playing Mighty Number no. 9 in comparison yeah. you know just a game that is bereft of of any kind of interesting ideas or mechanics and you know as the platforming expert I, I, I think you'll agree like there's something to be said for how much it adds to a platformer when literally every pixel of the screen is thought out. Yeah. When the exact distance between platforms or the exact location of things on the screen are completely thought out and not just, we need some shit here. Let's yeah. put it here. And I'll tell you what part of that comes down to is uh, the designer's philosophy to go with, hey, let us pretty much use whatever was uh, available to use on the NES and no more. Now, that's not 100% entirely true. Uh, some of the, the backgrounds and some of the kind of tricks on display, obviously, you would never be able to do within the restrictions of the NES. Yeah. But for the most part, it is pretty fucking authentic. Yeah. Again, so, it's another thing to the average punter. No, yeah, yeah, sure. You wouldn't be able to point out stuff that couldn't be done by yeah. SNES. But, um, it all looks authentically SNES. But like yeah. the, the sound and the colour palette, which is usually kind of the big one that you go for with yeah. trying to make a retro style looking game. You know, it's pretty much within the the restrictions of the NES. It pops. It really does. Yeah. It's a really pretty looking game. Um, you know, just some of the animations and some of the backgrounds. Uh, oh, and one of the things I really like about the game as well is, um, and it, you know, surprising coming from me, I really like the Dark Souls mechanic that it uses. <laughs> um, so what I like about games is where they have a difficulty setting, but it's not a binary, hey, this is easy mode, normal mode, hard mode. Hurt me plenty. Hurt me plenty, yeah. Uh, nightmare. What um, Shovel Knight does is throughout the levels you have checkpoints which are like these kind of big light bulb dome looking motherfuckers yeah um throughout the levels you can collect treasure now if you die at any point uh you leave behind these kind of floating money bags and that's all the treasure you collect in the game now if you can get back to the point and collect all the treasure it's all yours again mm -hmm. otherwise if you die again it's all gone using the dark souls mechanic yeah. um what you can do is throughout the level you have these checkpoints and you can either activate these checkpoints and you're good to go. If you die again, you start back at that checkpoint and there's usually like about four or five to six between each level. Or you can break those bad boys, not activate the checkpoint and then get a shit ton more treasure for it, which you can then use yeah. to like power up or whatever. And I like that. It's a very simple mechanic, but I very much appreciate it. Um and yeah, that's that's one of the things that really stood out to me while playing uh, Shovel Knight and added the, the replayability because I was like, okay, can I get from the start of this level to the end now, not dying? I've played these levels enough. I kind of know the AI of the enemies. I know where they're going to be. Um, can I get through to the end now? And I didn't manage it in all of them. You know, again, some of those levels are pretty freaking uh, difficult, shall we say. Mm. Um, that's more or less uh, more or less like really when it comes to Shovel Knight there isn't too much to say like it's... that's the thing about these these older platformers like it's it's all in the playing yeah so there's only so long you can talk about the visual style the music before it's like 
just fucking put your hands on a controller and play a shovel knight. Yeah, and it's on, you know, pretty much every friggin' device possible at this point. Um, I like as well the fact that Shovel Knight has clearly kind of spread out into the wider community, like he appears in Ukulele. Uh, that, that, by the way, I, I that was not spoiled on me before <laughs> I saw it, and I flip my lids. Uh, Shovel Knight will be in the next uh, No More Heroes game, uh, whatever the hell that's called, uh, which, huh. <laughs> Weirdly, there's a Shovel Knight amiibo. There is a Shovel Knight. Which I have. Yeah. And it led people to the tantalizing prospect of him showing up in Smash, which to this point hasn't happened yet. I would be on board with that. Yeah. They got all sorts of weird people. It, I would have thought that would be a much easier deal to do than say they got Cloud Strife in that game. They got Ryu in that game. And fucking Bayonetta. I'd, li- I'd like to see him smack the shit out of Pikachu with a shovel. Yeah. Oh, he would be great in uh, in smash maybe he'll come to the the switch port fingers crossed uh just to to give a a little bit of uh kind of stats and the reception uh the game really across the board you know received anywhere from upwards of 90 percent um the ps4 version received 91 percent based on 17 view uh, reviews uh 90 to 100 based on 18 reviews um Kotaku featured it in the best 22 review games that don't have sequels uh, yet. Yeah. Uh, in 2014, because of its high Metacritic rating, uh, IGN high enter- what? High Metacritic rating. <laughs> can't, that that unless I had a stroke there, that came that came out differently. Yeah, maybe yeah. it did. Well, here I we don't go. Know. Um, controversial person but you know he's in here IGN editor at the time Colin Moriarty uh, awarded the game and this was back when he was like a good games reporter because he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted Uh, awarded the game a 9 out of 10 rating calling it arguably the best game released so far in 2014 and you know what um, it is to this day his, I think his favourite game of all time is like Mega Man 3 so that would make sense to this day it's probably one of my top 5 games of the last generation I do yeah. think it hits that uh Ben Yahtzee Croshaw of Zero Punctuation reviewed the game favourably, especially praising... <laughs> Which, in and of itself, in and of itself, a rarity. Especially praising the storytelling throughout the gameplay, uh, the difficulty, which reminded him of the way Dark Souls utilised uh, those elements. Uh, he noticed that while some people might write the game off uh, for its nostalgia bait, uh, he has never owned a NES, so if he likes Shovel Knight, it can't possibly be working on nostalgia alone. <laughs> uh, which is a really good way of looking at it. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Like, in terms of uh, an elevator pitch, it is obviously of uh, the homage to that era of gaming, but it's so kind of doing its own thing. It's very fresh. Um, it, it incorporates both old and new game stay pl- gameplay style mechanics. Um, and it looks great. Even as a kind of retro pixel art style game, it still looks fantastic still plays brilliantly Mm. uh and i'm super super looking forward to uh the next release whenever that will be here cool um well that is shovel knight uh we have one last bit of business to attend to on the podcast and that is to discuss uh what will be the game for next week's book club and it's my turn to pick this week mark i'm going to take us back a whopping 16 years to 2001 and I think this is a game that it will surprise most people who haven't been with the show long term that we haven't gotten to this one yet. Um, but we're about to get there. And I think it's an appropriate game considering um, 
something else that's that's coming out quite soon. Um, I actually might be out by the time we do this podcast. I can't remember. Is it's it out soon. FIFA or the World Cup '98? No, it's not. Which is great. <laughs> someday, someday, <laughs> my friend. Uh, no, we are going to talk uh, next week on the show about Halo Combat Evolved. Oh, right. We're doing that, are we? Yeah. All right. I, I, I was in the middle of this show going, have we done it? <laughs> like, I had picked this before we started, but then I started doubting myself because it feels like something we would have gotten to early. What? Turns See, out no. The, the only reason we may have not done that is, like, original Xbox is not, I feel like, the kind of... The, the I never sh- owned one. I, yeah. I This was something, as we'll talk about next week, that I played in friends' houses and then completed myself on Xbox One with the, uh, the MasterChef collection. Yeah, so <laughs> that's going to be an interesting time. Yes, indeed. That's That'll be episode 82 next week. Um, That's going to do it for episode 81 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. We're still on SoundCloud. It's not dead yet. Not dead yet. We've gone past the 50 days it apparently had yeah. money left for. And let me tell you, I think next week it's taken our money for the yeah, year for yeah. storage. So, so let's so see what the fuck happens there. Yeah. Um, Subscribe to us, rate us, review us. It all helps. Share around to your friends. We we do appreciate word of mouth. Uh, we got a retweet this week from one of the PR people for Darkside Detective. I did see this. the game we were talking about last week, which I dearly love very much. Well, uh, we're going to need to start doing that more often. Finding develop- developers, play their games, give us yeah. retweets. Um, the website is linked to the cast.eu. That's where you'll find like the show notes of the podcast and such things. Sometimes we write articles up there and uh, you can find them all on that website if you want to get in touch with us drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com but you'll probably get in touch with us quicker via social media and you'll also get more updates on our content as and when it is posted facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on twitter speaking of twitter individually I'm at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project we stream video games I was going to say I have, my own, I have my own t-shirt now with Lithium Projects on it do you? work gave me one That'll go well with the, uh, the I, got, I got the one and only Link to the Cast t-shirt and cup in existence. Yeah. Our only merch, <laughs> which I treasure dearly. Um, but uh, it makes me think of a, a time where we could sell merch. Who knows? Uh. Um, we stream over at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Link to the Cast and archive later on YouTube. If you just search for Link to the Cast. Mark. I was going to do damn well and it didn't happen. Just moving <laughs> Mark on. on Mondays is moving just, on. This you're just a trash man at this point. Well, I live the gimmick. All Give right. the people what they want. <laughs> Give them what they want. I appreciate the sincerity with which you have used that statement. Indeed, really do. Um, Wednesday, Retro Corner sixty four, which will be on oh, hiatus Jesus, yeah. for another two weeks because you're I away. will not be home for most of the next week. Um, so in about two weeks that'll be up but there are plenty of them already up there uh, you will not want for Nintendo 64 coverage on our YouTube channel Thursday is the day the podcast comes out it's the only thing that comes out that day so enjoy it it's an hour and a half two hours every week uh, it's the only thing we put out on Thursday because of that Friday Friday of plays with my solo series and this week we're finally coming to the end of Oxenfree Mark so tragic what a game that has been really enjoyed it uh, I'm thinking about going back over the, the week I'm away and going doing a sneaky platinum on that, possibly. Because uh, I very much enjoyed that game and there are different branching paths I would like you to You and take. those fucking platinums. It'll be number 23 if I do. You have a sickness. Indeed, and I am down with that sickness. <laughs> this has been episode 81 of Link to the Cast. I'm Dave Ryan. The man just puking on his own face in disgust is Mark Robinson. We'll see you all next week. Why would you make a disturbed reference? Goodbye. <laughs>